Y'all can take a seat. And while you do, real, real quick, just take a deep breath in and let it out. That feels nice, yeah? It's so good to be together. Hey, if we haven't met yet, my name is Bradley Reese. I'm on staff at Orchardville Church. It's good to see all of you. Before we start, I actually want to say how honestly thankful I am that each of you chose to be here. Um, I'm the kind of person who finds it much easier to not do things than to do things. And so the fact that you're here means that you chose to do a thing, and it's really good. And I've said it before, but I'll say it again. Basic is not the staff. It's not this room. It's not the stuff that happens on stage. It's not the booth, although the booth people are great. Turn around and say hi to the booth people. Wow. They're really great, but it's not them. Basic is all of you. It's a community, right? And so you all showing up and being here is what makes it happen. And I want to say a specific thing. If you're a person in this room and you look around and you feel like you don't know a whole lot of people, I want you to know that you're a hero. And I appreciate that you're showing up. It's hard at the beginning of the year. So thank you. Also, I want to get to know you. So I'm going to hang out. A lot of people are going to be hanging out, but I am going to be hanging out as well after basic. And I want to talk to you. I can almost promise that I am more awkward than you are. Okay? So it's a safe space. All right. So this week, we're finishing up a series called God in the Mystery. And our goal for this series has honestly just been to acknowledge some of the tension that we all experience between our expectation and our experiences in life and in faith. And ultimately, we want to make the case that your doubts or your questions are not roadblocks to faith, but they're actually core pathways to a deeper and more honest relationship with God. So this week... I'm going to finish up the series. Obviously, we're not touching on every single question or mystery that exists in faith. Please do that in your life groups or with your friends and stuff. It's important. But this week, I'm going to finish it up by talking about some of the mystery and tension that we encounter within ourselves. And that makes me want to vomit. So we're going to start with the story, okay? This story is part of a series of stories that I like to call stupid things that Bradley did one time. And uh, I've done a lot of stupid things in my life. This is just one of those stupid things. So, Cammie, can we roll the jingle? That's so dumb. Uh, I want you to know that the stupid thing that I did for that footage to exist is show up to work. That's what I did that day. I just showed up to work. Okay, so this one time... Before I met my beautiful wife, Alex, I had a crush on this girl, and her name was Mackenzie. It was the summer of 2005. Nickelback was taking the world by storm with a song that started out with the lyrics, look at this photograph. And I was 13, and I was absolutely convinced that Mackenzie and I would one day look at this photograph. I thought we were made for each other. For context, here's what I looked like at age 13. Yeah, yeah, look at that. Hopeless romantic, lover of pretzels, and a hairstyle that looked like a mushroom. That was me. Okay, so I'm 13. One day I'm hanging out with some people in my neighborhood, and Mackenzie drives up on her golf cart because she was so cool that she had a golf cart. She parks it, and a bunch of us hop on, and we're just like talking and hanging out. When I get an incredible idea, I look at the driver's seat of the golf cart, and I notice that nobody's in it. And I think to myself, I know what will make Mackenzie want to date me. I'll hijack her golf cart, and I'll drive down that hill really fast with all these people on it. Now, I know what you're thinking. Bradley, if you want someone to like you, you should probably not steal their vehicle. And to that, I would say that I wish you were there in 2005, 
because I really needed your advice, but you were not there because you were a toddler, you were like watching Peppa Pig or something, and I did a really dumb thing that day. So here's what happened. I jumped in the golf cart, which by the way, I had never driven before, and I hit the gas, and I head straight down the hill, and as we pick up speed, I have this thought in my head that maybe my parents told me I wasn't allowed to drive McKinsey's golf cart because I didn't know how to drive a golf cart, but I shake that off because I'm busy. And about halfway down the hill, we're doing like 25 to 30 miles an hour, I try to swerve out of the way of a pothole, and the golf cart fishtails this way and that way, and then I lose control, and the golf cart flips over with all of my friends still hanging onto it. Now, before I continue, wow, that was a terrifying silence. Before I continue, I should mention that no one was seriously injured in the making of this stupid things that Bradley did one time, okay? It, is, it could have been way worse, but all of us made it out with cuts and bruises. It was pretty dumb, yeah? And I realized that right after the crash, when I got up and I looked around, y'all, it was a mess, The golf cart, I wish I had a picture. The golf cart was tipped up on its side. The wheels were like sticking out at weird angles. It was leaking gasoline. All my friends were laying in the street. Most of them were hurt in some way. And then everything got 100% worse. I looked up the hill and I saw my freaking dad. (laughs) Turns out he was outside when this happened. He saw everything and he was literally booking it down this hill down to me and my friends and down to this massive mess that I created, I was terrified. I remember getting up, I sprinted over to the golf cart and I tried with all my might to tip it back right side up to try and at least like fix something before he got there. But of course it was too heavy. I could not move it. And then my dad ran up to me and he grabbed both of my shoulders and I got myself ready to get yelled at and we're actually gonna pause the story right there, okay? Wow, what a cliffhanger, what's gonna happen next? I'll tell you later, okay? You know, if you saw me that day, and you looked me in the eye, and you said, Bradley, why did you do that? I would have said three words that I'm willing to bet all of us have said when questioned about the stupid things that we've done. Do you guys know what those three words are? Yeah, I don't know. And if I thought about it too much, I would have kind of been led down this rabbit hole of increasingly sweat-inducing questions. Bradley... Why did you think driving a golf cart full of people down a dangerous hill was a good idea? I don't know, something about like frontal cortex development, right? Bradley, why did you think that McKinsey would like you if you did something stupid and dangerous and really annoying? I don't know, I had a severe lack of social awareness, right? Bradley, why do you feel like you have to be funny or impressive or fill in the blank in order to be accepted? I don't know. Or to put it like the great Michael Scott, why are you the way that you are? (laughs) But seriously, that's a sticker. I want that sticker. Seriously, have you ever felt that tension? That somewhere deep down within us, below all the words we say, below the actions that we're proud of and the actions that we regret, below all the ways that we make ourselves appear like we have it all together, below all that stuff, Have you heard that little nagging voice that relentlessly tries to convince you that you're not who you should be? That voice that repeatedly asks, why are you the way that you are? What's wrong with you? See, I wasn't aware of it then, but the accident that happened that day put me face to face with a mystery that for many of us sits below the surface, but it deeply influences the way that we think, the way that we act, and the way that we interact with God and the people around us every single day. I was face to face with the mystery of my own weakness. Sure, I was physically weak, right? Because I was 13 years old and 90 pounds and pretty sure that puberty just wasn't gonna happen. 
But also, looking back, I can see that stupid moment for what it really was. It was a kid who felt unwanted, unloved, unwelcomed, trying desperately to get a laugh or to be remembered or to belong. Now, junior high was like a ways away for all of us. So maybe you can't relate to that particular form of weakness, but the truth is that if we're really honest with ourselves, this human weakness affects all of us in some way. You might ask yourself questions like, why am I so insecure? Why do I have so much anxiety? Why do I feel so lonely? Why am I so afraid to fail? Why can't I just be like that person? Why does nothing I do ever feel good enough? Why do I feel so disconnected from my family? Why can't I forgive myself? And the more we ask ourselves these questions, the more we start to agree with that little nagging voice, which by the way, has a name. That nagging voice that says there's something wrong with you and that you're flawed beyond repair is called shame. Shame says that your weakness makes you unworthy of joy or love or belonging, so you better do your best to hide that weakness right? And if there's one thing that humans are good at, it's hiding. My two-year-old son, Rowan, does it every single day when I say it's time to get his diaper changed and put his day clothes on, okay? I know about hiding. We've all been doing it since Genesis chapter 3. We're real good at it. And in this situation, we put up all sorts of defenses to make sure that our weakness stays way down below the surface where no one has to see it. Defenses like apathy, because if I don't care about anything, nothing can hurt me. Like humor, because if it's funny, then I'm in control, which is why I tell stupid stories about myself. Criticism, because it's easier to pay attention to the weaknesses of other people. Pride, because if all else fails, maybe I'll just pretend I don't have weaknesses. Perfectionism and people-pleasing, because maybe if I just try hard enough, I'll finally be good enough. Or self-loathing, because if I hate myself, maybe it won't hurt so bad when other people hate me or a myriad of habits, some healthy, right, and some unhealthy, that help me ignore what's really going on. Friends, if you're sitting here tonight and you're realizing that any of this describes you, if you can pick out maybe a couple weaknesses, or you can identify some of the defenses you build around yourself, if you ever find yourself asking what's wrong with you, or if you're frankly just hoping you're gonna make it through the week, you should know a couple things. The first thing is that you are not alone. Judging by the like increase of sweat in the room and the silence, you're definitely not alone, right? I have done all of these defenses in different seasons of my life, and I guarantee that every single person in this room has too. This mystery of weakness, it's not just you, it's not just me, it's all of us. Everyone here, we are all on the same level, and that means that the voice of shame that's telling you that you're not worthy and that you don't belong is a liar. Right now, right here, Whatever you brought in tonight, you are loved and you belong here. And the other thing you should know is that I can't tell you why you are the way that you are. I'm really sorry. I can't explain the mystery of human weakness. Honestly, I have heard a whole lot of answers from really churchy people over the years, and none of them have really done it for me. But I do have good news to share with you because the whole point of this series has been to encourage us that mystery is a core pathway to a relationship with God. And the mystery of our weakness is no different. I believe that God wants to meet us right here in the middle of this mystery to show us that he is so much better. 
He is so much kinder. He is so much more loving than we could have possibly imagined. Because when we finally drop our defenses and approach God honestly, God meets us in the midst of our shame and our weakness, and he shows us his grace and his power. So stay with me, okay? All right. Grab your Bible. We're going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's toward the end of the Bible. If you're like me, you got to play the flip game, you know. My Bible's already open to it because I am a cheater. And while you're going there, I want to introduce you to a guy named Paul, okay? If you're not familiar with Paul, it's all good. Paul was one of the leaders of the early Christian church, which is a total plot twist because before Paul believed in Jesus, he was a Pharisee. He was an angry, bigoted skeptic about Jesus, and he persecuted Christians. But now... A lot of the New Testament is made of letters that he wrote to different churches to help them figure out what following Jesus looks like. Paul's considered like a hero of the Christian faith. But at the same time, Paul is no stranger to human weakness. So in 2 Corinthians, he's taking a minute to address people who are trying to discredit him, to say that he should not be writing them letters, he should leave them alone. He's actually defending himself. So he's kind of talking about his experience when all of a sudden he stops cold and he says this in verse 5. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, verse 5. He says, I will not boast about myself except about my weakness, which makes zero sense. Can you imagine boasting about your weakness? Oh, you have a fear of failure? Very cool. Okay, well, not to one-up you or anything, but I am full of regret, so no big deal. It's a sick brag, but it doesn't make any sense at all, right? But then Paul goes on, and he kind of explains it a little bit. Skip ahead to verse 7. Paul says this. He says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul goes on. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Now, there's a bunch of mysteries in this passage. For one, what does Paul mean when he says he has a thorn in his flesh that is also like some kind of messenger of Satan that tormented him, right? I didn't get it, so like any self-respecting millennial, I decided to Google it. And it turns out that no one actually knows what Paul was talking about there. It's a mystery. Some think he had an eye disease that made it really hard for him to read and write. Some people think he felt guilty because he used to persecute people, which kind of makes sense, I don't know. Some thought he was insecure about his appearance. It could be anything. And I think that's kind of the point, right? We don't get to know the weakness that Paul dealt with, but we have no problem identifying our own. And that's what makes Paul's response so powerful for us. Paul shows us what we can do with this mystery. So what does he do? Does he try to overcome it through perfectionism? Does he fall into self-loathing and give up? Does he hide it with humor or cynicism? No, Paul tells us that he pleaded with the Lord to take it away. And that word pleaded in the Greek, it means that he literally got up close and personal with God and he begged, God, take this away from me. In the middle of the mystery of his weakness, instead of putting up defenses, distancing himself from God out of frustration or out of shame, Paul drew near to God. He was honest about his weakness and he begged God to take it away. 
And God responds, not by taking away Paul's weakness, classic God, but with another mystery. God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. God is saying this way back to Paul in like the year 50, right? But I believe that God's so powerful and outside of time that he's saying it to each of us as well. God says, listen, it's true. You're not sufficient on your own. You already knew that. But my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient in your place. And y'all, grace is a mystery. If you don't really know what grace means, I'm going to explain it because it's kind of a big deal, okay? Grace is the completely unconditional love of God. It's the completely undeserved kindness of God, the completely unearned power and presence of God that is for us. It means God loves you. He is with you. He is for you no matter what. There's nothing you could do to earn it, even on your best day, and there's nothing you could do to take it away, even on your worst day. Grace doesn't make sense, and it doesn't have to. It is simply a free gift. So if you're here tonight, and shame is telling you that your weaknesses or your failures or your mistakes make you unlovable and unworthy and powerless to do anything about it, if you're exhausted from putting up defenses to keep everyone at a distance, you need to hear the kind voice of your creator, the God of love, whispering, why are you hiding? Why are you running? Why are you striving? You are already loved because I love you. You are already worthy because I choose you. And there's nothing you can do about it. And God doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, my power is made perfect in weakness. Other translations say, my power finds its full expression. It actually works best in weakness. And this to me is the ultimate mystery. How can God's power actually work better in my weakness? It's the hardest thing for me to wrap my head around. But y'all, nowhere in this book Will you find a God who asks you to shut up and deal with it or get to work to make yourself good enough or to clean yourself up before you approach him or before he uses you in this world? But everywhere in this book, you'll find a God who relentlessly pursues people who by human standards are weak, broken, and insufficient. And not only does God love them without hesitation and extend his grace to them, but over and over again, God picks up the broken pieces of his people and he breathes his spirit onto them and he uses them to show the world just how kind and just how powerful he really is. And we can see this happening in Paul, right? This angry, bigoted skeptic who clearly wrestled with his own weaknesses. God took those broken pieces. He breathed his spirit onto him. And now Paul is the messenger of the welcoming grace of Jesus to literally billions of people from the first century to you and I 2,000 years later through his letters. And we can also see it when God decided that he would walk with us on earth. He didn't take the form of a mighty warrior like a lot of people expected. He didn't take the form of an infallible king like a lot of people expected. He didn't even show up like some rich guy. Instead, he took the form of Jesus, a literal infant born out of wedlock to a teenager who had zero parenting experience, who is quite frankly a hero in my book. It's another teaching though. Jesus, who would grow up to welcome the lowest people in society into his presence and who would die like a criminal on a cross at the hands of people that he created. 
and that he loved even as he forgave them. What the world saw as Jesus' greatest display of weakness was the greatest display of his power. And that makes no sense. Y'all, for whatever reason, somewhere along the line, we've gotten it twisted. We've, craft, we've crafted a definition of power that looks like strength and perfection, and then we beat ourselves up when we don't measure up to it. And we do this especially as people trying to follow Jesus, right? We believe that God is all about our success or our beauty or our strength or our gifts or our talents. We take tons of tests to tell us about that. And all the while, God is waiting to show us the fullness of his power. And we can see it best when he breathes his spirit onto our honest, vulnerable, and weak selves. So tonight, if you're feeling that, if you feel that weakness, if perfectionism has left you exhausted, or if you're just weary and you're not sure how you're going to make it through the week or this semester or this season of your life, you need to know that even now, God is filling in those empty spaces with his power through the presence of his spirit who is here right with us right now. We have a story to finish, yeah? I left you on a cliffhanger. So there I am. I'm standing at the bottom of a hill. I'm face to face with my own weaknesses. I'm listening to that voice of shame that was talking a mile a minute. And I'm also face to face with my dad. And y'all, my defenses were up, right? I'm racking my brain trying to think of excuses. And my dad grabs me by the shoulders and I brace myself for the lecture that I knew that I deserved. And my dad said, are you okay? Well, it's not what I was expecting. I was like, yeah, I'm good. And then I watched like an idiot as he went over to each one of my friends and made sure that they were okay. And then he came back over to that tipped over golf cart that I was too weak to lift on my own. And he said, it's all right, son, let me help you. And together we lifted the golf cart back up. He lifted it up, I pretended to lift it up. <laughs> and then my dad cleaned up all of our wounds he helped everyone get home. And to this day, I have no idea how that golf cart got fixed. But I do know that that was the day that I really understood my dad. I was face to face with my shame and my weakness. And he responded with kindness. And he let me borrow some of his strength. Y'all, I don't know why we are the way that we are. It's a mystery that, honestly, I don't think we're actually made to understand. But I know with confidence that every time we drop our defenses and approach God in the midst of our weakness, with a voice of shame talking a mile a minute, God responds with his grace, that completely unearned and undeserved love and kindness. And he responds with his power through the presence of the Spirit. God meets us in the midst of our shame and weakness, and he shows us his grace and his power. For the next few minutes, the team is gonna play some music. And I wanna invite you to just like take a minute and rest and breathe, maybe have a conversation with God. And there's a few questions on the stream, you can, the screen, you can use them if you'd like. You can write some thoughts down. You can think, you can pray. There's a prayer team back there, I'm pretty sure, and they would love to pray with you. God's presence is here right now. And if you're anything like me, you're ready to like borrow some of his strength. So I just invite you to take a minute. 